Welcome to the NESPP's Equity Expert Podcast. Thanks for joining us. I'm Barbara Buckshot, and I'm the Executive Director of the NESPP. For this episode, we are going to be talking about trends in global equity incentives. The trends we are going to share are findings from the 2021 Equity Incentives Design Survey, which is co-sponsored by the NESPP and Deloitte Consulting. This survey is part of a trio of surveys that the NESPP and Deloitte collaborate on that provide an in-depth look at the design and administration of all forms of worldwide stock compensation. The NESPP has been conducting these surveys since our inception in 1993, making them the industry's longest running and most comprehensive source of year-over-year data on trends in stock compensation. The 2021 edition focuses on the design of time-based full-value awards and stock options, as well as performance awards. We conducted the survey in early 2021 and received close to 400 responses. All respondents are public companies representing a wide range of industries and company sizes, from the newly public to the very mature. Nearly all respondents are headquartered in the United States, but 85% have employees located outside of their headquarters country. Joining me today to share some of the results from the survey is Mark Miller from Deloitte Consulting. Thanks for joining me, Mark, and welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Bob. Pleasure to be here. Great. Well, before we get to the survey data, I just want to ask you to share with our listeners a little bit about your background and what your role is at Deloitte. Sure. So I'm a principal with Deloitte. Uh, This is uh, my 20th year, if you're listening to this in 2022, with Deloitte. And I lead our equity and incentives practice for the US firm and generally spend my time consulting with multinational companies around all aspects of long-term incentive compensation and global share plans. Great, thanks. Uh, Well, let's get to my questions. Uh, We know from our prior podcast on the survey that public companies most commonly grant time-based full value awards and performance awards with only about half granting stock options. Uh, I'm wondering if we see any variations from this pattern in terms of the equity vehicles companies offer to employees who are located outside their headquarters country? Yeah, I think Predictably, we see a, a, a continuation of that trend. Uh, we, we continue to see a prevalence of time-based awards. I think I would lead and say one of the interesting data points from the survey participants, around 8% of the companies do not grant equity outside of their headquarters country, which turn that around means 92% of the survey respondents do offer equity, at least out in some countries outside of headquarters. And we certainly see full value awards continuing to be prevalent uh, as compared to maybe performance awards or options. And there's an interesting linkage that those companies offering full value awards are more likely to also offer outside of headquarters, where you look at performance-based awards, we've seen 86% of respondents offering some form of performance-based award in headquarters, whereas only... those same companies only extend to 57% of their international participants. So perhaps unsurprising, performance awards may be more typically offered to senior employees. Performance and senior employees more typically likely to be located in headquarters. But that is the most notable difference when we look at the different award types. I think the, the real telling sign for me here was though the prevalence of companies that are looking to offer equity compensation when they use it in headquarters, 
they're also more likely to extend in some capacity internationally as well. Another thing I wanted to ask you about is how common it is for companies to adjust the size of their equity awards to employees outside of their headquarter country. Uh, And if they are adjusting their equity award sizes, what's the most common criteria that they use to do that? This was one of the perhaps more surprising revelations from the survey to me as a reader, perhaps influenced by my perspective, sitting in Silicon Valley and serving many companies that offer equity on a broad basis. But what we found, what the survey indicated was less than half of company respondents adjust the size of grants issued outside of their headquarters, which is to say many companies offer stock-based compensation grants on the same sizes, the same basis internationally, outside of headquarters as maybe they would in headquarters. Um, Interestingly, companies are more likely to adjust the size of time-based awards and options. Only 28% would adjust the size of performance awards, which makes me speculate um, maybe there's a connection between companies that are offering equity compensation only to the most senior employees. Maybe there's a correlation there that they would not adjust grant sizes for most senior employees on a global basis. And again, we've talked about the likely connection between performance awards going to senior employees in the previous question. The most common adjustment criteria uh, when there are adjustments, perhaps intuitively are connected to pay practices by jurisdiction representing 50% of those companies that make adjustments, do so based on pay practices, 47% for relative wages and Similarly themed job descriptions might impact 41% of those adjustments. But again, to restate, the, the data indicates that less than half of companies are actually making these adjustments at all. I, I agree with you. I think that data is surprising. Uh, you know, I think you, maybe if you are a company where you just have, you know, you're just granting in a couple countries that have an economy similar to your headquarters country, it makes sense to grant everybody the same thing. But if you're really granting in a lot of different countries, you're potentially granting in a lot of different economies. And it does seem a little crazy to me to to not take that into account when you're sizing your equity awards. I think that's right. I, I suppose the what what isn't obvious from the survey data is, it, is it one or two international employees or is it hundreds? Like you say, are the countries similarly economically positioned? Are we talking about jobs with very different base compensation? And I think the other potential influencing factor here, we do see for those companies that maybe do adjust grant sizes, they're more likely to adjust grant sizes when offering to lower level employees or on a broader basis on a more pronounced scale which is to say for grants that are going to the most senior compensated employees, even companies that adjust grant size may not adjust at the most senior levels. When we start to get to jobs that truly are compensated globally rather than locally. And that could also be influencing here if the the respondents are focused on grants to executives, for example, it might well make sense that those would not be adjusted for geography, because indeed compensation may not be adjusted for geography. So I think there's a lot to unpack in what this survey is telling us. 
that I would certainly say for the companies that are not adjusting grant sizes internationally, it's worth double checking to make sure that that is intuitive for your grant population or else you may well be effectively overpaying with the equity compensation awards in some international locations. Thanks. That's a useful perspective on that. Uh, my next topic that I wanted to ask you about is qualified plans. How typical is it for companies to offer locally tax qualified plans? Yeah, the, the prevalence of qualified plans continues. Um, it's worth noting not all countries have qualified plan opportunities, but many do. Um, and what we, what we see from the survey data is that there are a handful of countries that really float up in probability of a qualifying plan being offered, notably uh, Israel, the US, Belgium is on this list, which was maybe a slight surprise, and France. What, again, what the survey data doesn't necessarily tell us as clearly is what the qualifying plan ideas are and what the connection is to general compensation strategies. What the survey data clearly says, and I think intuitively, is that companies are more likely to offer qualified plans where they have a larger employee presence, which makes sense, as there is a cost of offering a qualified plan in many cases, if, if nothing else, the cost of educating the employees, but often there may be costs of drafting new plans, maybe registering them. And indeed, in some cases, there can be external costs of trustees or similar third parties to help you manage the qualifying plans themselves. And let me just ask you a follow up on that. How do you expect the data to trend in this space? Do you think companies are going to offer more locally qualified tax plans in the future? Or do you think they're going to move away from the, you know, the ones that are, are going to move away from it? Uh, and do you think are there any overlooked countries where you think companies really should be considering a tax qualified plan? It's a great question that's difficult to predict. I think qualified plans will continue to be used. I think the trend from most countries is qualified plans that have existed seem to be here to stay. There continues to be a general theme from many governments to use tax qualified plans as a way to promote employee share ownership. And a general view continues, I would say, from many governments that employee share ownership on a broad basis is something to be promoted. So we still see, for example, Israel massively popular to see qualified plans. As I mentioned, we've seen countries like France that have had qualified plan type arrangements for many years. They continue to tweak the rules. They've, they've changed them in some respects, it seems almost yearly for, for as long as I've been doing this that they continue to be prevalent. Um, maybe the harder thing to predict is what's going to happen in the future. And I would say one of, I, I don't expect qualified plans to, to go away. While ever the tax authorities continue to make the arrangements, the opportunities in the tax code, I expect companies to look at them and use them. They often benefit employer and employee alike. The, the challenge with qualified plans in some companies, and it obviously depends on your grant strategies, but one of the hidden challenges is mobility. And the bigger the program, the more likely we are to see companies want to say, we want everyone to participate on an equal footing, as opposed to maybe structuring plans to try to get special tax treatment for certain micro-populations in certain countries. And the mobility challenge with qualified plans is what happens when people start 
in country X, but move to country Y? And if one country has a qualified plan and one doesn't, how do those rules play together? Indeed, best case, it can create some uncertainty. Worst case, they can almost end up with negative tax implications by participating in qualified plans. So it's a difficult question to answer on a general basis because there's a lot to unpack, but it's certainly, it's worth being mindful of. And I, I am in general a big advocate for qualified plans. And maybe to specifically answer your question, Bob, from my vantage point, countries where maybe I'm surprised at the lower prevalence, and I say this without bias, I promise, but it's the UK. Uh, I, I started my career in the UK. UK companies very, very frequently leverage qualified plan arrangements outside of the UK. They're much less popular. And we don't see many US multinationals, for example, using qualified plans, certainly not with the sort of prevalence that you would from a UK company because of some of the limited benefits or some of the perceived costs of operating them. But that is one, one country that continues to surprise me. We see them, they are common, but not as common as one might expect, and certainly not as common as countries like Israel or France. Uh, yeah, I hadn't really even thought about the implications of mobility on trying to operate a qualified plan and how that might impact the employees. That's a, that's a good point. All right, for my next couple of questions, I want to, uh, to focus in on a couple of countries that I think are going to be of interest to our listeners. Uh, the first one is the, the United Kingdom. The UK is one of the jurisdictions where our members are most likely to have employees, second only to the United States. Uh, and 96% of the survey respondents that have employees in the UK also offer equity to those employees. So I think the UK is gonna be of significant interest to our listeners. What trends or developments in the UK should our listeners be aware of? So the, the trends in some respects at the starting point in terms of prevalence of equity awards, different equity plan types used, similar in the UK to maybe what we see in general in the full value awards, um, what we might call restricted stock units, from a US perspective, continue to be by far the most dominant vehicle for equity plans in the UK with 90% of respondents using those award types. Though we see a good prevalence of performance awards, ESPP and options as well um, being used. I think I hinted at this in my last response where um, approved plans, the UK is one country that is the, the tax rules actually offer multiple different types of approved plan. There are four different approved plan types available. Um, the acronyms being SAYE, BIP or SIP, CSOP and EMI. Not everyone will be eligible for all of those different acronyms and different plan types, but there's almost a plan for everybody out there. What's interesting as you look at the data, and as I say, I hinted at this already, is that the prevalence of these approved plans is maybe not as high as one might expect. There is a strong correlation between the number of employees and the probability of the company using an approved plan with companies with over a thousand participants in the UK. 34% um, of those use an approved plan. Only 9% of companies with less than 100 use an approved plan. But even that, I would say 9% or 34%, even the higher number is maybe surprisingly low when you consider some of the benefits, probably lower on the basis of the administrative burden and or the costs that sometimes come with these sort of arrangements. Uh, an, an interesting set of data. And I think 
one of the big takeaways for me for those companies that have continued to use what we call a NIC election or a NIC pass-through, where they're transferring the employer tax liability to the employees in the UK. And food for thought that as an alternative to that sort of structure, maybe there is still space for a lot of companies to consider whether approved plans might actually realize more bang for your buck, so to speak. And there's always the possibility of delivering more compensation to employees with approved plans. The alternative, other side of the other side of that coin, just as important, is maybe you can realize the same benefit and use fewer shares and manage your dilution on that the same terms. Uh, and the last country I wanted to ask you about is Canada. This is another country where our members often have employees and are likely to offer equity. Uh, and I feel like there have been some significant developments in Canada recently that affect equity plans. What should our members be aware of? Yes, Canada has been quite active uh, with tax rules, at least in, in the past uh, year or two. Just to start again, the, the data as to what companies are actually using, what, off, what grants are being offered in Canada, a similar story, strong prevalence for full value awards, 87% of respondents operating in Canada say they, they're using time-based full value awards um, with performance performance awards options and DSPP still in that 30 to 40% prevalence range. The, the two changes that you hinted at, Bob, one, one impacts stock options. Canada is a country that for many years has allowed employees with stock options to enjoy a tax benefit where they only pay tax oftentimes, subject to lots of qualifiers. As I would say as a consultant, not everyone qualifies for this exemption, but many do, maybe most do only pay tax on 50% of the option gain. So with respect to this 50% exemption that's often available for stock options, many of the survey respondents unfortunately said they weren't sure if the plan was eligible for that. Um, and a good number were saying that they are taking advantage of this 50% exemption for stock options. It's only available for, full, for options with an exercise price equal to fair value. So maybe the data is skewed here because many of the respondents are offering full value awards, which maybe would not be eligible. But I would say when that 50% exemption is available, it's often perceived to be a great benefit to employees. And it's one of the changes the Canadian Revenue Authority has introduced, awards starting on or after July 1, 2021, the 50% exemption is now limited. Um, and that we will see whether that informs the extent to which options continue to be used in Canada. My hunch is maybe not because they're already seeing lower prevalence, but for those companies that really like to promote tax advantages and maybe would have preferred options over RSUs so they could enjoy that benefit in the past, that's being um, at least reduced, but not eliminated. And there's still a good opportunity to enjoy some tax break there. The other change that's happening in Canada is much more uh, in its infancy. We'll see how this really plays out, but the Canadian Revenue Authority has talked about changes to full value awards or RSUs, where the Canadian Revenue Authority is essentially stating their view that most equity is granted in respect to past services, even if you have a multi-year vesting schedule. They take a view that you probably started to earn that based on your services that occurred before the grant date. And this has some really interesting potential implications. So 
some connected to deferred comp rules in Canada. Depending on how your plan is structured, you may need to uh, release everything within three calendar years to stay on side with salary deferral arrangements. Now, now have we lost one of those calendar years before we even granted? It's a question. Um, there's also the question of, well, if the grant was starting to be earned in respect to past services, how does that inform income sourcing in the context of mobility? Um, I, I hate to give questions with no answers, but we, that's really where we are right now. We'll see how this one develops, but it's one to watch. And it's certainly the case that Canada is starting to march, march to the beat of their own drum. All right. Thanks, Mark. Uh, that was my last question. So that is a wrap on this episode of the podcast. Uh, for those of you who want to learn more about the survey results, I encourage you to listen to the NASPP webcast, Top Trends from the Equity Incentives Design Survey, which is available now on the NASPP website. If you participated in the survey, you also have access to the full survey results on the NASPP website. This podcast is the second in a series of four podcasts that we are broadcasting to highlight the results from the survey. In the first podcast of the series, Ian Dawson from Deloitte Consulting shares trends in equity award usage and eligibility. In future podcasts, we're going to discuss our findings on retirement provisions, and we'll take a closer look at how performance awards are structured. Mark, thanks so much for joining us. I really enjoyed our conversation and the data you highlighted, and I also want to thank our audience for listening. Be sure to subscribe to the Equity Expert Podcast so you are notified when we post new episodes. You can subscribe on the NSVP website or wherever you listen to podcasts.